Hello, fellow kids, and welcome to episode 17 for realsies of Hello, Fellow Kids. I had to keep fixing it in our previous <laughs> episode because I we had some wonky stuff, but we're back to normal. Yeah, no more wonky. <laughs> this month, we are revisiting our friends the Penderwicks, and this time they are on Garden Street. The title is The Penderwicks on Garden Street. Right, yeah. <laughs> Again, by Gian Birdsall, and thought it would be a fun way to revisit and kind of finish out the summer because they're a very even if the the story didn't really take place no it took place in the fall but they have a very summery sort of feel about them to me so we've been having kind of fallish weather lately yeah so yeah why not read this yeah so first impressions it was so cute i liked it better than the first book and usually i don't feel that way usually it's like the first book is like the most solid and the rest is like it was okay, but it wasn't quite like the first, like, no, this was better. Yeah. Because uh, you get to see the Penderwicks in their main environment, and I guess it was kind of weird to meet them just, like, on vacation, I guess, in the first one, because this is what they're like all the time, and this is all their activities, and this is how their days go. It was just, it was very charming, and... um I remember you compared it to the Ramona books. This was especially even more like Ramona <laughs> than the first one. <laughs> so this is probably why I was like, oh, I'm just expecting Ramona Quimby to show up, but they're in Massachusetts and, and Ramona's Morgan. So Yeah, the point that you brought up about it being like, this is what they're like every day. I made a note of it about a third of the way through. It's like, I had a lot of friends that would go to like summer camp and stuff, either for like they were counselors or they were doing it for like through their church or whatever. And they would always get, like, who you are in kind of, like, an isolated situation like that is not who you are year-round. Yeah. So I, they would always, like, talk about their friends and stuff. And it always struck me as, like, I, I get that you, like, are friends with them, but it's a different context. And so seeing, it's like seeing our friends in, like, their everyday context as opposed to their, like, vacation, vacation. we can be whoever we want to be context. And it was really interesting to see the differences with that. But, I mean, they're, they're, they're pretty still, true to themselves. Yeah, so. they're still the same people, um, pretty much. And I thought it did a really good job of kind of really going deeper into what makes each one their own uh-huh. person. Yeah. Um, and the level of depth to that really was very enjoyable. They they weren't one-dimensional at the beginning at all, but they're, they're definitely even more full characters yes, now. Yes, particularly Rosalind. Right, because she was just kind of mom substitute I'm for mom the first substitute. One. I'm the responsible one. This is it. This is it. Yeah. And this one... I, I actually, like, I was like, I actually like you in this one. <laughs> I didn't really like you in the first one. Yeah. I didn't hate her. It was just all like, I can't, I can't relate to you. Right. Like, I'm the oldest sibling too, but you're like, Shiite oldest sibling. <laughs> like, what's your deal? <laughs> all right, let's get started. I'm excited. All right, here we go. The Penderwicks on Gardam Street. And uh, this time around we get a prologue and then an epilogue. And it's a real prologue this time. It's a real prologue. <laughs> it's not chapter one disguised as a prologue. Okay, so, prologue. Uh, it's a flashback to when our Penderwick protags were littles. Their mom's in the hospital and not doing too hot. Uh, during a spasm of pain, the girl's Aunt Claire gives them money and sends them down the hall to the gift shop. Aunt Claire was very generous, and each girl can get a nice treat, but Rosalind finds a necklace of five hearts and wants to get it for their mom, because so, it'd be, like, for the four girls and their mommy. So her sisters agree. I didn't believe that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what? They were like really little. They're like six. And I'm like, I want the toy. And right. They're like, we're going to get the necklace for mommy. F mommy. I want my toy. <laughs> is like what a real kid would have been like. But uh, Penderwicks, you know. 
They have that honor. So uh, the sisters agree and are only a little bummed not to be getting presents for themselves. Uh, on the way back to the room, the little girls see their favorite nurse, Reuben, who gives them fun wheelchair rides. Rosalind goes ahead alone and she overhears a conversation between her mother and aunt. Her mother says that if she doesn't make it, Claire has to give Mr. Penderwick a letter in three to four years' time that basically gives him permission to date again. Uh, Rosalind is sick and horrified by this and has a million questions which, alas, go unanswered because her mother's illness takes a turn for the worse and she's dead within the week. Uh, chapter one, Rosalind builds a cake. Uh, builds a cake. I, did, I, I didn't write that, but I just slipped out build a cake because this is Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't... That's bad, but what's worse is in my head it didn't sound wrong at all. <laughs> you totally went with it. I was just like... No, I should have just said it. Okay, That's anyway. how cakes work. Yeah, right? You build a cake or something. All right, so Rosalind bakes a cake. It's fall and the girls are back in school. You know, this takes place shortly after book one. Anyway, uh, Rosalind just started middle school and she gets out earlier than the other kids do. So it's her job to go pick up Addie from daycare. On this day, Aunt Claire's coming to visit. So Rosalind wants to bake a cake. Uh, she sends Batty and Hound outside where they spy on their new neighbors, the Aronsons, until it's snack time. Uh, Skye and Jane come home from school, and Jane's distraught that she's received a C-plus grade for her Women of Massachusetts essay. Wow, that's harsh, you think. Isn't writing supposed to be Jane's thing? What went wrong? Well, Jane wrote her Women of Massachusetts essay on her fictional character, Sabrina Starr. <laughs> Jane, you ignorant slut. <laughs> <laughs> Um, after Mr. Penderwick calls to make sure everyone got home okay, Rosalind reminds her sisters of Aunt Claire's upcoming visit, and they all get cleaning. Once the cake's out of the oven, Aunt Claire arrives. Uncanny timing there, Claire. All right, chapter two, the blue letter. They have dinner with Aunt Claire, and everything's cool until she starts getting jittery and weird and gives out overly extravagant gifts to the girls until Mr. P sends the girls out of the room to have some real talk with his sister. The girls totally don't eavesdrop. They just stand by the door not talking. <laughs> Finally, Mr. P brings the girls back in, and he's holding the deathly permission letter. Claire says their dad's going to start dating. No one takes it well, but it hits Rosalind hardest, and she runs from the house, completely overwhelmed. I liked uh, Mr. Penderwick had to call because the kids are assing around, and uh, the one, the last one home's the one who's supposed to call him at his work to say, we're all home. And I like that he has that in place. Right. It's really, I was just like, jeez, just like really smart things here and there, and I'm like... That's a good idea. Yeah. They should have... My mom was a working parent, and we didn't do that. Right. But maybe we should have, because Ian kind of... My brother kind of disappeared all the time, <laughs> so <laughs> we should, probably should have had that in place of like, okay, last one in calls mommy. My first note is the fact that Rosalind's... Her friend Anna is still her best friend four years later between like the ages of eight and 12, and I'm like, good job. We haven't let like drama totally ruin your friendship right. yet, which is an unfortunate thing that happens to... A lot of people, once they start getting a little bit older. Rosalind's very, like, Kendra Sorensen, so she's so sensible right. that I think she'll be okay. And, like, she and Anna seem pretty solid. Yeah. They're, like, very like-minded little girls. Mm -hmm. When Jane comes in with her essay, and she's like, I'll have to be a vagrant, because I'm going to be a C on one essay. <laughs> when they're walking home... Batty would notice posters about missing cats and dogs 
and says, Batty always studied these carefully, wondering why people didn't take better care of their pets. Uh, but today, because of Aunt Claire's visit, they hurried along, stopping only for Batty to move to safety, a worm that had unwisely strayed onto the sidewalk. And I wrote, I'm so, so terribly Batty. <laughs> uh, I'm the opposite of Batty. Not because of the worm thing. But when I see missing animal posters, I can't look at them. It ruins my entire day. Knowing that I'm just, because most of the time they're dead. There's an exception. You guys will like this. Do you just point at them? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But uh, when me and my my brother, every time we walked to the store, we'd see this pole. I was like, kidnap pig! Like this frantic kidnap pig sign. It was like, our pig's been kidnapped! It's been pignapped! And this is the pig! And I'm like... What? And I was like, this is the second missing pig I've ever heard of. <laughs> I was like ground zero for the first missing pig. I, maybe I'll tell that next. But anyway, yes. this, this is, is, is a kidnapped pig. And I was like, that is so weird. And then I don't know how I found it out. I was Googling something else. It was like local news or something because I think I wanted to check out the weather. And the big pressing local news that popped up before weather was, pig found! The pig was found! It had a happy ending! <laughs> they brought the pig home! Thank God, that was an emotional roller coaster. <laughs> but when I was coming home from seeing the Wonder Woman movie a few years ago, all these, like this little girl comes tearing out of her house. I don't remember the name, but it was something silly. So I'll just like, Clarice, Clarice. And then like, I'm like, what the hell? And then like parents come out, like the like suddenly the parent comes out of the side yard yelling like, Clarice. And then like the dad comes out of the house going like, Clarice. And I'm like, God, they have a missing kid. And I was, like, kind of, like, watching in concern. And, like, the mom's kind of, like, walking up and down the street, and she sees me and then, like, gets this embarrassed look on her face and comes over and goes, Hi, um, have you seen a pig? (laughs) (laughs) And I go, No, I think I'd notice that. (laughs) She goes, I know, right? Yeah, she got out of the yard. Uh, If you see her, I'm like, I'll I'll send her right to you. (laughs) How will I know it's your pig? (laughs) Strange pigs just wandering the neighborhood. But since no signs were ever posted anywhere, I figure Clarice got home. I hope so. I can't remember the real name. It was something stupid like that. Not that it's stupid for your name to be Clarice. I just think people names on animals, particularly really important, like, fancy names like Clarice, are silly on animals. Like, my brother knew a cat named Walter. My girlfriend and I watch a show on uh, exotic animal vets and... uh, Half the people that bring in their pigs name them, like, bacon bits and stuff. And I'm like, you're mm. bad people. I mean, that's what I'd do. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I think I named, like, Mr. Wiggins. Piggins Wiggins. I named my cat a food. Yeah, but you didn't name it a food made out of cat. That is sure? that is the difference. Do you know that for sure. Have you ever read the ingredients on a packet of Cheez-Its? First ingredient, bitchy cats. <laughs> it's actually like they, they've secretly like bolded letters that spells out this is made of cat. <laughs> Warning! <laughs> this is made in a factory where we cook cats. <laughs> Soylent oranges, cats. <laughs> soy, it's like soy, egg, uh, tree nuts, cats. <laughs> also, why is it so far down? It's like they just need a little sprinkle of it. I feel like you've buried the lead here. <laughs> okay, back to Benderwicks. Her poor C. Uh, which reminds <laughs> me, okay, so one of the most recent novels I finished was uh, Fangirl. And she's devastated because she got a poor grade for using the Simon Snow characters. Yeah, she got an F for yeah. plagiarism. Right. Which, so I was like, 
Which is, no, that's not, fanfiction's not plagiarism. Right, I was surprised that she didn't bring up, like, uh, all of those Sherlock Holmes stories that are written by other people, and right. it's like, those aren't plagiarism. Oh, <laughs> people conveniently don't think of that kind of thing when they shit on, like, fanfiction. Yeah. Jasper Ford is really against fanfiction of his books, which I find rich, because he essentially writes fanfiction. Right, which one's he? Uh, the Thursday Next, where she goes inside books and hangs out with book characters. Wow, yeah, that's... Yeah! The funniest scene in the whole book series is when uh, she sits down and she has to read, uh, or not read, she has to uh, be in charge of uh, group counseling in Wuthering Heights. Everyone in Wuthering Heights is really effed up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they're all, except Kathy, all in agreement that Cleve, he, Heathcliff sucks. And he's like, well, I hate, I was like, okay, we're getting somewhere. And she goes, well, I love Heathcliff. And everyone's like, ah! And she's like, oh my god, will you guys quit being so horrible? Anyway, back to Pedrowick's. Fangirl's really good, by the way, though. Read Fangirl. It was basically my college experience, except I did not get a Levi. <laughs> it was just me in my room writing fanfiction. <laughs> and I didn't have a twin who was, like, icing me out to, like, be popular. I did my three predictions. I remember to do my three predictions on oh, this. Oh, what are the three uh, predictions? At the end of chapter two, my first prediction is the woman that Mr. Penderwick will choose to marry is Mrs. Aronson. <laughs> and we're not going to say whether or not that's the case until the end. Right. But this was my safest prediction. <laughs> <laughs> How about Jane writing her essay on her fake character and thinking that'd totally be okay? Oh, honey. <laughs> Jane, just... I don't know, just pick anybody but yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, right? I understand where she's coming from, though, like... Oh, and I, I hate boring assignments. Yeah. I'm right there with her. I totally get it. Yeah. Oh, and the uh, dad's like, she's like, Daddy, I got a C on my essay. Or, or Jane's upset because she got a C on the essay. And then Daddy says, remember that Leo Tolstoy flunked out of college and went on to write War and Peace. Tell him we'll never even get into college at this rate. <laughs> uh, did you say what their presents were? No, I just said, okay. they're, they're like guilt presents. They, like, you're guys I, gonna, gonna hate this news. I, I, so I, love, I guilt loved presents. the guilt presents, and I love the fact that they call her out on it later. She's like, like we like presents, just not presents attached to bad news. Uh, I, <laughs> Batty the, got a wagon. That's like the most important of the gifts, and, right? Well, no, I think Skye's uh, binoculars are pretty important. Oh, right. Because she, she uses them yeah. constantly. I forget what Jane... Oh, Jane got a huge box set of like books, and <laughs> Rosalind got sweaters. She's a little Miss Sensible. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Batty, before they figure out why they got the presents, uh, Jane says, these must be Aunt Claire's dying gifts. <laughs> says she can't, she says she wasn't sick. Besides, she looks perfectly healthy. People often look perfectly healthy right before they die. Then we could all die. Batty climbed into her new wagon. Perhaps it was safer in there. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I wrote, it is. <laughs> you don't get cancer from sitting in wagons. <laughs> Okay, are we good that with that? Yes. Okay, chapter three, bedtime stories. With Rosalind gone, Mr. P and Claire read Batty her bedtime story, but it doesn't quite take. So Batty waits until they leave and then rides her new wagon to Sky in Jane's room. She requests a story and Jane starts telling her one about princesses when Rosalind walks in looking traumatized with leaves in her hair. No one really knows what to do here since Rosalind's always a little Miss Perfect and here she is completely unwound. She explodes when Skye awkwardly refers to their dad dating as weird. Rosalind goes on to list off everyone they know with crummy step-parents. Skye correctly points out that this whole dating thing was their mother's idea and Rosalind commits heresy by saying their mother was wrong! No, really, like, she says, well, my, maybe mommy was wrong and it's like, frickin' needle screech yeah. and all the girls are like, what? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's part of the the Penderwick code is that you don't question dead mother. mother is dead. You can't question anything she says. Anyway, Batty retreats from Rosalind the heretic and upends her wagon. She dissolves into tears. She only wanted a story. Uh, Rosalind puts Batty to bed and stays with her a while in case she wakes still needing a story. <laughs> Chapter four, Temper's Lost. This is like my favorite character shows up. <laughs> it made me so happy. Okay. Uh, the next day, Sky and Jane have a soccer game. Sky has a pregame routine of stretches, various exercises, envisioning murder, and a Mr. Penderwick mandated... <laughs> and a Mr. Penderwick mandated five minutes of positivity. With this bomb drop of her father dating and Rosalind's uncharacteristic tantrums, it takes Sky a long time to finish her positivity, at least until she thinks of the events from the previous book. Then she's good and ready to sit out on the roof and try out her new binoculars, her guilt gift from Aunt Claire. The neighbor boy, Tommy Geiger, joins her close by up in a tree, wearing his football gear and asks if she wants to run football drills. Nah, she has a game. Okay, then what about Rosalind? Is she busy? What about later? I'm just asking, that's all. Can a guy be curious? Sky, bless her heart, has no idea why Tommy's being a huge weirdo. Um, at the game, Sky and Jane start a soccer riot when the opposing team's captain, Melissa, trips Jane and hurts her. Unfortunately, this brings out Jane's Mick Hart soccer hooligan persona and also my absolute favorite character in these books. With a shout of, Gorma Stuffs, the fight is on, and both teams are made to forfeit. Afterwards, Mr. P is disappointed in the girls and they're apologetic. Once they're home, they spot their neighbors, the Aronsons, and go over to say hello and properly introduce themselves. Ms. Aronson, with the unlikely name of Iyantha, is an astrophysicist at the same university where Mr. P works. Her baby son, Ben, only says duck. Well, okay then. Mr. P's a huge dork and babbles about the Latin and Greek origins of Iantha's name until Claire drags him away and orders him not to be a huge etymology geek on his blind date tonight. Mr. P says sucks to his blind date and shocks the girls for this flair of temper, but Sky kind of digs it. Duck. Duck. Right. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, Ben? Duck. Duck. Yeah. <laughs> he's, the, he's the Groot of the story. <laughs> so they do a story right at the start of chapter three and it is a it is a little golden book that i did not recall that i knew until i was reading this 20 something years ago my parents would read this one to me scuppers the sailor dog Dog. and i was like this feels familiar and then i looked up the picture and it's like it's this really cute dog that's dressed up in a yellow raincoat at the at the helm (laughs) of a sailing ship and i'm like remember you scuppers you really are batty (laughs) (laughs) i never heard of this so i assumed they made it up and then i was like how does this this song scan i'm trying to sing it to pop by the sailor man tune i'm scuppers the sailor dog i'm scuppers the sailor dog i could sail in a gale right over a whale under full sail in a fog and i'm like that doesn't work (laughs) it's not too far off Whenever she just lets the girls talk, it's just her dialogue writing skills. Like, she is so good at getting all of their voices right and figuring out realistic interruptions and all of that. And I'm like, this is how you write banter. Like when Jane starts like, okay, I'll tell you a story. And and Sky's like, no Sabrina Star. Yeah. And she's like, okay, no McHart either. (laughs) And she's like, fine. (laughs) What's the country called? It's called Cameron Lot. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so... They're freaking out about the idea of a potential stepmother because yeah. they have they have seen bad experiences with stepmothers, such as Rosalind's friend Anna had a perfectly fine mother, but her father was forever getting married and divorced, then falling in love and doing it over again. 
it had happened so many times that Anna no longer bothered to keep track of stepmothers. She called them all Claudia after the first one, <laughs> which I love so much. This is my new Claudia. <laughs> <laughs> this is my new Claudia. And she's like, can you go bring her up? <laughs> like this marriage is already on the rocks. <laughs> and also the, the kids hate Jeffrey's uh, new stepdad, Dexter. Yeah. Dex- Dexter... My brain keeps saying laboratory. It's a really fakey, stupid name. Dexter Dupree. Dupree, Dupree, yeah. Yeah, Dexter Dupree. Whatever. You know his name's like Sam Johnson. (laughs) And he's from Omaha. Give me a break. (laughs) I love uh, Sky's pre-game routine. Stretches, five minutes of picturing the other team bloody and repentant. And then five minutes of positive thoughts. Her father had suggested she add this to the list, particularly on those days when she'd done an extra good job of picturing blood and repentance. (laughs) (laughs) Her sky really hates Melissa. Yeah. Cameron's hardware are gormless duffs! (laughs) And then Jane is like, ha, mad cow, you're all mad cows. And Melissa's like, and you're a a madder cow. And like, even her team are like, you're so lame for that being your comeback. Oh, and then later... Mr. Penderwick, like, the referee told me this lake has never had a brawl of that magnitude. Of course, at the time, I was pretending to be a casual passerby, <laughs> not a father at all. <laughs> Which uh, reminded me a story. My Aunt Bonnie, uh, she went to, like, this new church, and she was talking to the preacher afterwards. And her son, Timmy, was still, like, a little kid at the time. And he was, like, playing with the other kids. And this is, like, a mostly black church. And Timmy comes running up and goes, that brown one took my ball. So she pushes him and goes, go find your mother. (laughs) (laughs) The preacher was also black. When Skye is using her binoculars on Garden Street, she notices a car with a license plate that is NTRPRS, and I couldn't figure out what that was supposed to be. I got Enterprise. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, got it. I was like, (laughs) I was like, not rappers? (laughs) (laughs) I had forgotten about Mick Hart, so. I hadn't. As soon as I heard that we're playing soccer, I'm like, God, I hope Mick Hart shows up. <laughs> they get a little Latin lesson from Mr. Pendewick because yeah. he sure loves Latin. And he's like, from Bellum came Bellatrix, which means female warrior. And I wrote, I killed Sirius Black. Yeah, I thought that too. <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of almost Harry Potter references that none of these girls pick up. Right. And is just like, what year is this? I actually, I played a game in here where every time I noticed something that seemed sort of recent, I would look up when it would have been to be like, see if I could pinpoint it. Because they reference a couple of books by name. And I was like, I wonder when those were written to see how contemporary it is. I also love the fact that the kid only says duck because I listened to the Adventure Zone podcast. And it's a, it's a role-playing podcast. And they have a, a character who's like a goat man. And he can only say duck and pizza. I think maybe one other word, but he just goes, duck! So that's what I kept thinking. (laughs) I kept thinking Groot. Right. (laughs) Chapter five, the first date. Uh, Jane has a magical rock she makes offerings to out in Quigley Woods. She tries to summon fictional characters there as well. It's all very, we have always lived in the castle. If you haven't read that, go read it. It's by Shirley Jackson. I figured you were not going to get that reference. I've not read it. There's a very strange character in it who does similar things like this, except Jane's just like, I'm just kind of being whimsical. I'm like, maybe it'll happen. Why not? Right. But the girl in the, We Have Always Lived in the Castle is like, no, this is a thing that must be done or bad things will happen. I just remembered a story about a big rock, so let me know when you're done. And I'll cool. 
Okay, she's interrupted by Tommy, who of course only talks about Rosalind. Dude, just ask her to the movies already. JFC. Uh, she falls asleep there, but is woken by Skye. Mr. P's about to go on his date, and he wants all his kids present and accounted for. He gets lint rollered by Batty and Claire, and then reluctantly leaves. The three oldest girls, or boops, are waiting up for him when Mr. P comes home. They eavesdrop, and when Claire asks how it went, he says, Cruciatus. The girls have no idea what this means, since apparently they've never read Harry Potter. <laughs> Chapter 6. The Save Daddy Plan. Rosalind's trying to think of ways to get her father out of dating. She tries to talk the problem over with Tommy, you know, the fear of step-parents with Tommy, but can only bring herself to obliquely mention it by referring to her friend Anna and all her stepmothers and the boys she met over the summer, meaning Jeffrey. But Tommy thinks she means Cagney, and dude goes off. <laughs> Rosalind's <laughs> astonished. Tommy, kid, come on. You're embarrassing yourself. Just offer to take her and her sisters to a Sunday matinee. It could be a dops. Data Penderwick sisters. <laughs> Anyway, the girls see Aunt Claire off, and then they have a mops out in Quigley Woods. They discuss how to stop Mr. P from dating. Skye points out that he's promised Aunt Claire to give dating a try, so he has to keep his word. How about they find him barfy ladies that'll fulfill his promise, but won't have a snowball's chance of being stepmoms? No one's got a better plan, so they go with Skye's idea. And it's good that they know that their dad is, like, a decent person, because otherwise it could end up in one of those, like, classic situations where it's, like, he thinks that the girl is, like, all that in a bag of chips, and all the kids know that she's absolutely terrible, and they're like, how do we get daddy to notice? But, like, he would see through that right yeah, away. Yeah, yeah. Um, What's your big rock story? Oh, right, big rock story. So, <clears throat> uh, my grandparents have, I want to say it's close to an acre yard, and there's a section of it that is kind of, kind of wooded off, and in there we had, uh... Growing up, we had a rope swing, and there was a really big rock at the base of the tree that you'd climb on to get to the rope swing. And the rock is probably like four feet high or something, so it's really big. And when I was uh, really young, my older cousin would tell me that he had like a secret clubhouse underneath the rock that he like only he had access to and that I couldn't go into. And so I was always like, as I got older, I figured out that it wasn't true, but then I just started <laughs> speculating like, if there was, that'd be pretty interesting. And then I brought it up to him a handful of years ago, and he had no recollection that he ever said anything like that to me. And I'm like, didn't. you totally did. <laughs> I like Jane's explanation of why like, she's the only one who does the stuff with the magic rocks. Her sisters could know none of this. Rosalind was too old for magic adventures, Batty too young, and Skye had given up on magic the day she discovered Long Division. <laughs> I think we also found out what Skye's middle name is. It's Blue. Where's that? Page 63. Claire and Batty are lint-rolling his suit, and Claire's like, there's at least another pound of dog hair on your sweater. He's like, too bad. If Miss Muntz cares about dog hair, she's clearly not the woman for me. And, and you're sure you won't wear a suit? He hates suits, said Skye. Thank you, Sky Blue, and I'm not fine on blind dates either. You don't, so, you don't think it's just a pet name? I just kind of like the idea that her middle... Her, they've already named her Sky. You may as well commit to right? it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Plus, he hasn't really said it before. Oh, Tommy. Oh, poor, poor Tommy. Oh, Tommy. He's, I mean... Cagney the gardener, who was older than you, was so cute. Blah, blah, blah. blah, blah. <laughs> what do you mean, blah, blah, blah? I've barely mentioned him to you. Besides, I meant Jeffrey, who's Sky's age. And then she starts out, well, anyway, Jeffrey, and he goes, but you have to admit, you told me plenty about Cagney. I'll prove it. He's a Red Sox fan. He played basketball in high school. He wants to be a high school history teacher. He's obsessed with the Civil War. He gave you a rose bush as a goodbye gift, and he planted it beneath your bedroom window. He dated some girl named Kath. That's when she smacks him. No, she doesn't. She doesn't. She All just... right, fine. <laughs> I don't care that you liked Cagney. You know what, Tommy? I don't know why I bother talking to you at all. 
I don't either. I'm going to run some drills by myself. Fine. And by the way, you look goofy wearing the helmet all the time. Fine. And, and, and. <laughs> poor guy. No. And meanwhile, poor Rosin's like, blah, 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 indeed. <laughs> oh, and uh, when the girls are saying bye to Claire and, and the Rosin's like, thank you for all your gifts. And Scott goes, but don't bring any next time. Yeah. <laughs> but Jane's like, I don't mind getting books even when there isn't strange and disturbing news. When they have their mops and uh, they're discussing the situation and the impending uh, lady dating. Um, oh, God. Besides, men have needs. Uh-huh. I read that in a magazine. What needs? needs. What, magazine? what magazine? What <laughs> magazine? Sky getting to the heart of the issue. Yeah, it's like, was she reading Cosmo? <laughs> like, what's going on? So we have a name for a plan, but no plan. How about murder? <laughs> Again, Sky is like the most efficient one. Just yes. cut straight through. Yeah. <laughs> I say Daddy should date the lady next door, and then I could play with the, her baby. <laughs> Daddy's the smartest one. <laughs> okay, there won't be an official vote, says Sky, still hoping for an escape, since Batty clearly doesn't understand what we're voting about. I do too <laughs> understand. Rosalind wants to find creepy ladies for Daddy, so we don't have to worry about stepmothers. I vote yes. <laughs> I like the idea of bringing Anna into the mix. Maybe she can lend us her father's former wives. <laughs> At least we know how awful they are. <laughs> so, moving on to chapter seven. A skating coach and an orange cat. My favorite kind of kitty! My second favorite character after Mick Hart was Asimov Aronson. <laughs> anyway, uh, Rosalind has Anna come over after school to help the girls brainstorm potential dates for their father. Anna suggests her skating coach, Lara, who wears a rabbit-trimmed fur coat and boots and who refuses to read. In fact, Anna has a skating lesson that day and suggests she calls the Penderwicks for a ride home so Mr. P and Lara can meet. Mr. Penderwick comes home and everyone does an abysmal job of acting natural. <laughs> They're basically all just sitting there whistling and he's like, yeah, okay, this isn't ominous. <laughs> okay. Uh, later, the call comes and Mr. P leaves with Rosalind, Batty, and Hound. Sky and Jane struggle with their homework until they decide to switch assignments. After Skye bangs out a science essay about antibiotics, uh, she then goes out on the roof to stargaze. A big orange cat joins her, and despite her telling him to F off, he plops down purring in Skye's lap. His collar says he's Asimov Aronson, the neighbor's cat. He's a good boy. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. P comes home and is upset he has a date. The girls have a meeting, and Batty cries because she doesn't like Lara. Batty loves buddies. Shout out to Yaz and what was the other one's name? I forgot to look it up. I remembered the name Yaz because it was the birth control thing. Maybe I can look in my notebook. Carla. Shout out to Yaz and Carla. <laughs> okay, chapter eight. Funty and the Bug Man. <laughs> <laughs> Batty plays in the backyard with her stuffies and spies on the Aronsons. She likes the way Ayantha talks to the baby. Then she helps Jane rehearse her Aztec play. And once Jane leaves, Batty decides to play dating with Funty, her stuffed elephant. Hound is supposed to pull the wagon, and he gets all hyper, running and scaring Batty, ignoring her screaming to stop. Somehow, no one in the house hears this, and Hound runs them all out into the street, where they're all nearly killed by a driver wearing big weird goggles who Batty calls the bug man. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Batty's so supportive, like the whole play, and she's all like, it's good. <laughs> and it's garbage. I think it's garbage. Okay, so <laughs> let me get, Let I want to read the portion where i wrote josh and mara which is right at the start of chapter seven okay 
So you're looking for a date Mr. Penn won't like, said Anna when they were done. Interesting concept. I should have tried it with my father years ago. You don't think it's diabolical, asked Sky. I prefer the term Machiavellian. When you're older, Batty, I'll explain Machiavellian to you. I already know. It's a kind of nut. <laughs> I was like, macadamia. And then I love the fact that, because you would immediately just go, a nut! Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Valeria. Anna suggests Valeria, who, who works with her mother. Her house is full of crystals for meditating, and she's always talking about people, about who people were in previous lives. She d- divorced her husband because she decided he was a cannibal five lifetimes ago. <laughs> Anna, who was she before? Valeria, I mean. Anne Boleyn, Madame Curie, Mary Magdalene, Mary Queen of Scots, Mary Lincoln. There were a bunch of different Marys. <laughs> this guy's like, stop! <laughs> oh, God, Sky's so sensible and so like stem based that anyone like that would just be like sandpaper on right her. just like oh god just get away with me with your freaking crystals and your and your damn uh, tarot i just can't i can't <laughs> how about my ice skating coach her name is Lori jones but she calls herself laura johnson <laughs> so that parents will think she's european and pay more for lessons clever <laughs> Clever. Right? Yeah, good for her. Way to take advantage of white people. Yes. <laughs> Do it, especially in this area where they have the money to burn. I don't know about dogs, but she wears a coat made out of rabbit fur. Batty went so pale and dizzy with shock that Rosalind and Anna had to dangle her upside down to get her blood flowing again. <laughs> This has nothing to do with anything, but it's just uh, an example of how good this author is at paying attention to details, which just says, pondering the meaning of Lex, Sky tipped her chair back and to the side until it rested on one leg. And then she's talking about the, the idea of, like, in math, there's no chance, like, this just wouldn't happen. I would just fall over every time, but, you know, with a little bit. And I just love, like, taking that extra time, because that's something that I would do a lot, is, like, you lean back on two and it's like, oh, I wonder if I can get it to balance on one. That's just a thing people do, like, kind of when they're thinking about stuff and I mm-hmm. love I love recognizing those details of human nature and drawing these real in. little character moments yeah. that just turn them from being just like a goofy kid in a book into like Yeah. That's something I do. Right. We're like relatable. I've got the first few pages of the play already. The title is Sisters in Sacrifice and here's how it starts. Long ago in the land of the Aztecs there was great worry. The rain had not come for many months. And without the rain the maize didn't grow. And without the maize the people starved. <laughs> That's nice. We should go downstairs now. Nice! That's all you can say? Nice! It's a brilliant setup to a drama of what's to come. Oh, Jane. (laughs) I love Jane. I really like the end of this chapter. After they're seeing how their plan is working out, this guy says, and yet we torment him. Should we stop, asked Jane, for whom torment was almost as bad a word as torture. We must have the courage to follow the Save Daddy plan, insisted Rosalind, for his own good. It really is. I have courage, Rosalind, said Batty, but I hate that lady with the rabbit coat and boots. Batty started to cry, for she did love rabbits so, and some of her sisters felt like crying too, because they felt like low, unworthy daughters, and then they all slunk away, each to be alone with her misery. It's good writing. Chapter 8, Funty and the Bugman. <laughs> I love that title. <laughs> Funty's that... an elephant. Yeah. Yeah. Is this our band name? <laughs> Funty and the... Batty had finally discovered how to fit all her stuffed animals into the red wagon. Sedgwick the horse had to be upside down and Funty the blue elephant had to sit on Ursula the bear's lap, but Batty figured they didn't mind. A trip to the backyard in a wagon was always better than being stuck inside on the bed, even if you aren't comfortable. 
I don't remember if it's in this chapter or not, but she talks about the fact, because she keeps the wagon up in her room, and then she brings it down to play, so every day she has to take it down the stairs, and then get all of the stuffies downstairs, and then take it all back up. It's just so much effort. Rosalind yells at her, <laughs> and she cries a little bit. Yeah. That was a real sibling moment, like, would you just, right. <laughs> just stop it? Put him in a backpack or something, Jesus. Duck, duck, duck! Say mommy. Duck. duck. <laughs> Say I'm a bubba bubba boy. Duck. <laughs> and then I think he stumbles or something. She says, oh dear, are you hurt my Ben, my pumpkin, my lumpkin darling Ben? And then Batty's like, my pumpkin, my lumpkin darling Batty. Because Batty wants a mommy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this is also a thing that I did. Jane put down her notebook. I wish you could read. Batty says, I can read. I read Little Brown Bear Won't Take a Nap to Rosalind last night. You memorize that. It's not the same thing. <laughs> There's a video of me at age two, and I have memorized a Sandra Boynton book, and so I'm reading it to myself. <laughs> we, I go to school with, oh boy, how am I going to parse this? So there's a girl at school who has a child. Uh, <laughs> and uh, when he was really little, he came out with a book and was like, holy shit, I think I can read. And they, like, read out part of this, it was, like, this little encyclopedia, children's encyclopedia set. And he goes, I think you read this to me before, though? So I think I just have that memorized. So she so she goes, like, okay, uh, here's the newspaper. Go ahead and see if you can read that. And then he was able to, so he actually could read. That's fun. He was, like, three, four, four, four or five. I don't know. And I like that. Batty, like, in order to rehearse the play, she's like, we need costumes. And Jane's like, we don't need costumes. She's like, yes, we do. So she just gets, like, towels mm -hmm. to just drape over themselves to do it. And Hound eats the towel because, of course, he does. All right, you want to know when I had a heart attack in this book? <gasps> Go ahead. So let's see, where where does this start? And she runs out in the freaking road. Yeah. And Jeffrey's not there to save her this right. time. He discovered that pulling the wagon was more fun than standing still. Then he discovered that pulling it faster was even more fun. The faster he pulled, the more fun he had, until he was dashing wildly around the backyard, the wagon careening behind him. Mm. As soon, Hound was going so fast that the backyard was too small for him. Uh, and, stop, Hound, please stop! There, there they all went, flying around the garage and toward Garden Street. Batty in her panic saw their green car was coming. At the last moment, Hound screeched to a halt. The wagon turned over, and Batty tumbled safely onto the grass. But in a flash, she was up and running for poor Funty had tumbled out, too, and had kept rolling, and there he went, rolling into the street, and Batty was screaming, and Hound was barking. Then there came the sound of squealing tires, and Batty saw, oh, what joy, the green car stopped inches from Funty. And, uh, here's the thing. I knew the Hound and Batty were okay. We're gonna be fine. I was really scared for Funty. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then Bugman, which I was like, what the heck is up with this Bugman? And then, of course, it all comes together, and I'm like, yep. all right, that's what's up with Bugman. Yeah. He's just this guy in this car with... Big black sunglasses that make her think that she ha he has, like, compound eyes. Yeah. And he's just very ominous yes. for a while. I mean, he's weird himself, so. Chapter 9. Passes and pizzas. Mr. P goes on his date, but he has Nick Geiger, Tommy Geiger's older brother, babysit the girls. Nick brings Tommy with him and wants the girls to run football drills. <laughs> Rosalind is so frustrated by this, she storms off to her room. I really like Rosalind much better in this book. She feels more real. Um, anyway, Skye comes after her and sees that Rosalind has put their mother's picture away. She talks Rosalind into coming outside with her. No one really likes football drills, so when Asimov shows up in the yard, Skye offers to take him home and hurries away. She knocks on the door and Ben answers through the mail flap. Duck. 
<laughs> until Yantha opens the door. They talk for a bit, and Ben calls Sky pretty. When Yantha tries to get him to repeat himself, he goes right back to Duck. Uh, next door, they hear the excitement of the pizza arriving, and Sky impulsively invites the Aronsons. Uh, they have a fun party that ends when Mr. P returns, frustrated with his date. Mr. P walks to Aronson's home while the girls have dessert, feeling guilty. All right, chapter 10, reversals. One day, Aunt Claire calls and says she's going to visit the next day. She has a potential blind date for Mr. P, too. Rosalind frantically calls all her sisters and Anna together. They need to find a date before Aunt Claire comes. Fast! They think and think and come up empty. Mr. P comes home early from parent-teacher conferences and reports that Jane's teacher loved her science report and that Sky's teacher loved her Aztec play so much that it's been chosen for sixth grade performance night. Oh, oh no! no! <laughs> when Rosalind tells him that Aunt Claire called, he says that she called him at work too. He told her to forget about the date because he already has one with an interesting woman named Marianne. Oh, snap. <laughs> Chapter 11. Clues. When Aunt Claire arrives for her visit, Rosalind is at Anna's house. Mr. P leaves for his date dressed like a scrub with a book in his pocket. Aunt Claire asks about this woman, and Mr. P says her name's Marianne Dashwood. Apparently, none of them has read Sense and Sensibility, so no one calls BS on this very obviously fake date. <laughs> I'm sorry, I knew immediately. I, had, I haven't read it, and I don't know much about it, so that was one of my predictions, though, is that she wasn't real, so... I at least picked up on the uh, the hinting of it. I was like, give me a break. Come on. Oh, break me off a piece of that Kit Kat bar. Fancy That's not... feast. <laughs> <laughs> they eat dinner and play Clue, and Tommy comes over looking for Rosalind. Uh, Jane invites him in for dinner and games, and he agrees. When Rosalind returns, she finds her family watching a movie, and Tommy's in the kitchen eating their ice cream. Tommy tells Rosalind that, he's, that he has a date to the eighth grade dance with a gymnast, and suddenly Rosalind's sick of everyone's crap. When Tommy leaves, she smashes the brownie she made for the dance and throws it out the window. I love her. Mr. P comes home and his date was fine. He would like to see Marianne again. Of course he would. He gets to be left alone for a bit. <laughs> Hound was at the bottom of the steps looking woozy. He'd spent the last hour throwing up pieces of towel. Yeah. <laughs> his naster. I didn't think about it when I was reading it, but when you were talking about Nick being their babysitter, I started picturing, uh, what's his name from Stranger Things? Steve Harrington! <laughs> he totally make the kids do... <laughs> it'd be like, ba no, Steve Harrington played basketball, so right. he'd be make, make, making them do basketball drills. And he'd be a little bit more, like, in tune with the kids, because Steve... Harrington is a gem of a character. Oh my god, I love Steve Harrington so much. <laughs> I bought a Funko of him with the with the um spiked bat. Nice. It might still be in a bag. But I was like, I need this one. <laughs> yeah, okay. Nick is played by Steve Harrington. <laughs> it's been decided. <laughs> so they're out playing drills and uh only Batty had not yet shown any marked improvement from being trained by Nick, but Nick wasn't giving up on her. Though no one else could see it, he insisted that she had the makings of a great athlete. Batty, don't duck and cover your head when Jane throws the ball to you. Okay, she said, and did manage to stretch up this time, though long seconds after the ball had flown over her head. <laughs> Rosalind, look, I'm playing football. I love that so much. That's how I played sports. <laughs> I was just picturing her with like this like earnest little face, like stretching her arms up at just as the ball swoop over. Duck, he said. Duck yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's Mara. Because <laughs> uh, Sky doesn't like babies. Neither do I. 
<laughs> I love, yeah, I love the, Ben had been intently studying Sky. Pretty, he said. Iantha almost stopped him. What did he say? Did he say you were pretty? I'm sure he didn't. <laughs> Do you think this is more of a self-esteem thing or just like that is not relevant to her? Not relevant. Because remember in the first book when uh, they're all at that horrible dinner and uh, Dexter Dupree keeps sleazing and being all like, Rosalind could be a model. And she's all like, we're going to do important things. Right. So it's just something she does not value. I really like that. I really like that she's like... So yeah, it's not the self-esteem thing. Yeah, that it's like genuinely that doesn't matter to her. Like, if it matters to other people, that's one thing. But for her personally, couldn't care less. She's all like, don't bring this to my discussion. Didn't she also, didn't she also say that she wanted to be like a prince instead of a princess or something? Gentleman. That's right. She's like, I won't be a lady, but I will be a gentleman. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, okay, Sky, sure. (laughs) My prediction in this book was the the play when Uh he's all like, yeah, they're going to perform your play. Uh I figured the teacher was like, BS, she wrote this and like would set all this up in order to make her confess. Right. Because this play is god awful. It has like, like romance to make kids uncomfortable. And plus it's like a bunch of white children in Massachusetts playing like Mesoamerican people. So, is problematic from wall to wall. Why are they doing this? Plus, it's really violent. This is a terrible play to have children perform. So, I was sitting all the time like, there's no way they're going to perform this. B.S. He's just trying to get her to be all like, I didn't actually write it. Never mind. (laughs) The younger girls go to Wildwood Elementary, and I wrote with Principal Colin Malloy. (laughs) (laughs) Right. A book series we will not be covering on this podcast. Batty's still freaked out about the bug man. And uh, when Rosalind comes to pick her up, she whispers something to Ben. And on the way out, Rosalind says, what did you tell Ben? I told him to keep his goggles on because because if I wear sunglasses and he wears goggles, Bugman will think we're more like him and won't try to hurt us. Solid logic. <laughs> so they play the actual board game Clue. <laughs> <laughs> I love how they choose the characters and like another example of like a, of course that would happen. So they all sit down with Aunt Claire. Jane chose Miss Scarlet because she secretly longed to wear a long pretty uh slinky gown like hers someday. Sky claimed Professor Plum, uh noticed that he had red hair and decided he was a professor of astrophysics. Batty would be no one other than Mrs. Peacock as only Mrs. Peacock was named for an animal. That left Aunt Claire, and since no one ever wanted to be Colonel Mustard because of his whip, and since Mrs. White was now represented by the top from a vitamin bottle, Hound had eaten the original long ago, she went for Mr. Green. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she always is able to guess who did it, but she always, like, doesn't... Yeah. She purposely doesn't win. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then Tommy comes over and sits down to play, and he chooses Colonel Mustard, and they all decide a whip wasn't so bad if it was just for show. (laughs) (laughs) See, one of the great things about kids is that they can have those conversations, and, like, they don't... Nobody in the conversation is like, okay, this is dumb, let's move on. Like, they're all like, this is important, let's have the discussion. (laughs) And I love that they can do that. Like, you know, sometimes you want to have, like, an ultimately meaningless conversation about something, but you want to take it seriously. And, like... Sometimes I feel like I'm there and then I realize that the person I'm talking to isn't there and I'm like, oh crap, now I look like a total loser for caring so much about this, but I thought we were on the same page. (laughs) That's why we have a podcast. (laughs) And Tommy has a date with Trilby. Trilby. Which, I think that's a hat. Was it Trilby Ramirez? Trilby, what was her last name? Yeah, I think it was Ramirez. Okay. She has an older brother named Twiggy. (laughs) 
from Marilyn Manson for you, Ramirez. Okay. All right. Chapter 12, Jane's Grand Gesture. Skye's upset because she's been cast in the Aztec play with her nemesis, Melissa, as her sister. She has bad stage fright and can't act. Jane agrees to work with her on her lines, but Skye sucks and has a fit. Mr. P comes home and Churchy's called him. Remember Churchy from the first book? Ah, Churchy's coming to Boston to visit Jeffrey at his boarding school. She's going to be staying with her sister and she can have one Penderwick with her. Rosalind is out because she has too much homework and Batty's out because Hound can't come. <laughs> I'd argue that you're too young, ah, but also Hound can't come. She's like, oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's down to Sky or Jane and Hound must choose. Sky's upset because Hound never picks her first. They do their stupid paper and dog biscuit thing and Jane picks up the first paper Hound touches. It's her name, but she feels so bad for Skye's anxiety about the play that she lies and says it's Skye. Later, Skye finds Jane upset and cleaning. You know Jane's upset and she's cleaning. Because <laughs> the part where I'm like Jane is the messiness. I've, I've definitely upset cleaned before. Uh, Me too. Getting rid of things, like, it relieves anxiety because it's like there's less things to deal with. <laughs> I got into a fight with my husband the day before our wedding and... I did dishes and then was so angry at him that I smashed a dish repeatedly on the sink and it broke and cut my hand. So I had to get married with a bandage in my hand. So be careful. Do you when still you... have a scar or was it not that deep? It wasn't that deep. Okay. And I nearly called the whole wedding off, but my, my uh, maid of honor did not answer my text in a right amount of time. That's the reason that you went through with it? Because... Yeah. <laughs> we couldn't get our deposit back on the on the venue, and it just it seems like a waste at that point. It was point. stupid stuff that made me go through with it when I didn't want to do it. I'm a little bit Penderwick, aren't I? I, I said I'd do it, and that's the Penderwick owner. <laughs> I need, like, Mr. Penderwick to be there going, no. Right. <laughs> anyway, yeah, Jane's upset cleaning. So Sky apologizes for her shittiness about the play and says that with Jane's help, she wants her lines memorized before she goes to Boston. All right, chapter 13. Yet! <laughs> <laughs> Tommy's learning Russian, so that's why it's called that. Um, Rosalind is supervising Batty and Ben in Quigley Woods when Nick and his football team come running by. Nick tells Rosalind that Trilby is a clingy, obsessed weirdo who won't leave Tommy alone and that Rosalind needs to talk sense into Tommy. Rosalind wants no part of it until Nick has each football player step up and says she needs to take care of the Tommy situation. Then she agrees. Uh, when Rosalind and Batty take Ben home, Rosalind tells Iantha about her dilemma, and Iantha suggests practicing with Iantha as Tommy. <laughs> it doesn't really help, because she's like, well, you need to have your helmet, so she puts, like, a lampshade on her head to pretend to be Tommy, and everyone's just like, what? Uh, anyway, it doesn't really help, and Rosalind goes over to the Geigers to get her obligation over with. Uh, Tommy's entire football team is there, eating the kitchen, but Rosalind gets Tommy alone to voice Nick's trilby concerns. Tommy doesn't take it well, and Rosalind leaves slamming the door. When you were describing the the lampshade on her head, I was I started picturing that scene from Friends with the like turkey. Mm -hmm. So I want to go over the when he has the whole team, but I also <laughs> want to do. Uh, Jane had been using uh, feckless as like it's one of her like favorite words right now, mm -hmm. and I wrote the young and the feckless. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to read out the part where Jane picks up the paper because I like how it's executed the winner cried jane scooping it up from the floor and waving it exuberantly 
the goer to Boston, the boon companion of Jeffrey and Churchy, the luckiest, most fabulous. Read it! <laughs> ah, yes. Jane flourished the slip of paper once more, doing imaginary spells over it, and then slowly unfolding it, read it, and smiled. The right name was on the paper, and she would not have to wait for eventually. But before she read the name aloud, she looked up, and the first thing she saw was Skye's face, so anxious, so hopeful, with a faint trace of green Aztec makeup across her cheek. At the sight of that bit of green, only a smidgen, really, one of Rainbow's lines came to Jane, all unbidden. I will spill my blood to bring the rain, to grow the maize, to feed our people. What a tragically beautiful line that is, she thought, and before she knew what she was doing, Sky, she said, how pick Sky. And it's, it's a really good mix of, like, actually powerful writing mixed in with we still are coming at this from like a 10 year old's perspective or whatever so it still has a certain cheesiness to it but like it rides that line really well of yeah having both of those elements <laughs> at the end of the chapter sky apologizes for being so curmudgeon about practice and she yeah. goes because it really is a good play it's just me that's bad i know said jane no <laughs> <laughs> i like uh batty trying to teach ben to talk he goes blood innocent blood you try it ben batty don't teach him that <laughs> but he needs a new word not that word. Say dog, Ben. Say hound. Say batty. But please don't say blood. Ben said nothing at all. At <laughs> uh, the beginning of chapter 13, he uses the word burble. And this is important because I am a big fan of Lewis Carroll. And I know that he made up a bunch of words, especially with like Jabberwocky and stuff that ended up being implemented. And I always forgot if that was one of his words or not. And so I looked it up and it's not. It's uh, chortle that's one of his but while I was looking at it, I learned that uh, Lewis Carroll is the one who coined using the term portmanteau to explain the combination of two words. And portmanteaus have been my favorite thing for a long time now, yeah. so I was extra excited to find out that one of my favorite linguistic people coined that. And then, like, a chapter or two later, there's a mention of Lewis Carroll, and I was like, oh, it all comes around! Uh, let's find when Nick has the team... Okay. Well, they hear the chanting first. Yeah. See something something. See eight something? Then CHS. Cameron. They're like just running through like, right. CHS, CHS. <laughs> and that like boy thing. Yeah. Men, take a breather and say hello to Rosalind. Grunted greetings came from dozens of manly throats. <laughs> Here, uh, 163. It's none of my business, Nick. But he needs help, Rosie. This trilby is telling everyone he's her boyfriend. She calls him every night, sometimes two or three times. And here's the worst. She goes to all of his football practices and cheers for him. Go, Tommy, go! You're the best! I agree it's disgusting, but what can I do about it? Talk to him. I've tried. He just doesn't listen to me. He doesn't listen to me either, Nick. Besides, if I could stop people going on dates just by talking to them, I'd start with Daddy. Rosie, listen <laughs> to me. Trilby wants Tommy to celebrate their anniversary. Their one-week anniversary. <laughs> this is truly a sad come-down for a man and a Geiger. Please say you'll talk some sense to him. I can't. That's your final answer? Yes. All right, then. I didn't want to do this, but you forced my hand, he said. Then called to the football players hanging around Hound. George, come here. What's up? Tell Rosalind she must talk to Tommy about the Trilby situation. You must talk to Tommy about the Trilby situation. Thanks. Lachlan, you're next. Okay, Nikki, one. <laughs> <laughs> the horror when she realized he was going to go through every member Every of single... <laughs> Every single one of Steve Harrington's friends. <laughs> they go back over to Ben, and uh, he yawns and beats his fists together. And uh, Nick says, that means he agrees with me. And she says, I think it means he's hungry. And I think she's right, 
Because I think he was doing, I think he's doing the ESL for more. Which oh, is when yeah, you yeah, your... yeah. My, my mom's uh, bots, uh, when her little boy was that little, yeah. they taught him sign language. And that's, yeah. He did that a lot. Right. <laughs> Once he knew them, it like, more food. <laughs> we learn why there is no Mr. Aronson oh, in the yeah. house. He was even smarter than he was handsome. Do you know how he died? A drunk driver crashed into his car. It was six months before Ben was born. That's the part I mind the most, that he never met Ben. So Rosalind's talking to Batty, and she, sa- she says, Not this time, Batikins. And I wrote, It's where the boat lives. With the Batikin. <laughs> <laughs> the boat. Rosalind listens to uh, Tommy on the phone with Trilby. Uh, Trilby seemed to be doing all the talking, so there wasn't much to hear. After a dozen or so nonspecific grunts, Tommy hung up. <laughs> so that was Trilby. Does she call often? I guess so. That must be annoying. Not necessarily. Oh, uh, sure it is. That and the cheering at football practice, the whole one-week anniversary thing, and, well, etc. Must be driving you crazy. Etc. You know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> Keep up, bitch. <laughs> Are you jealous? Jealous of Trilby? Yet. chapter 14 grilled cheese sandwiches that was kind of the food that they ate a lot in this book i think wasn't it grilled cheese sandwiches yeah like they ate a lot yeah like in riverland all they ate was cereal (laughs) grilled cheese jane's lonely at home and her dad suggests that she go rake leaves not wanting to do this alone jane goes across the street to invite tommy over He's working out in the garage and tells her he's going to be Superman for Halloween and Trilby will be Lois Lane. Tommy's embarrassed by this and he agreed to the costume only if they trick-or-treat in Trilby's neighborhood. Horrified by a Tommy-less Halloween, Jane tells him to suck it up and admit his undying love to Rosalind. Tommy doesn't take this well and Jane ends up breaking leaves and crying before laying down the leaves to wallow in her misery. Yamtha finds her and suggests she come over and have grilled cheese sandwiches with her and Batty and Ben. They have fun with trying to get Asimov and Hound used to each other for short periods of time. The good time is spoiled when Yantha's a delusional former associate, Norman, calls to harass her for allegedly stealing his research. When Batty and Jane go home, Tommy's left a football helmet for Jane as the Halloween costume. Chapter 15. Batty's spying mission. I know, right? Uh, One afternoon, Mr. Penderwick is on the phone with Claire, who wants to hook him up with another date. Well, too bad, Claire. He's got one lined up for the Ariane for lunch, which is right now. Goodbye! Um, Jane and Rosalind are concerned by his behavior. Is he going crazy? They need to know more about this Marianne. Luckily, Batty overheard and she's on the case. She and Hound stow away in his car under blankets, and Mr. P drives to Antonio's Pizza, and Lele talks about how good pineapple pizza is. Yum, yum. Surprise, Daddy, it's Batty! He's not surprised at all, because why else would there suddenly be blankets piled in the backseat? He'd left a note for Rosalind explaining where Batty was <laughs> so they can guilt-free have a pizza picnic in the car and then go visit horsies. Later, Batty can't answer Jane and Rosalind's questions about Mary Ann and feels like a bad spy. All she has is the short line from Sense and Sensibility Mr. P had her memorized, which just baffles the girls. Daddy's nuts! Chapter 16, In Between the Stars. Sky comes back from Boston with presents for everyone. She had a great time with Jeffrey, but gets uh, wicked bad anxiety when Batty brings up Halloween. Uh, sixth grade performance night is the day after Halloween. To comfort herself, she goes out on the roof with her binocs, but Jane finds her and asks if she wants to run lines. Luckily, Asimov appears and presents Skye with a reason to leave. She takes him home and admits her stress and unhappiness to Ayantha. Yantha lets Skye in and has a surprise for her. Yantha will go set it up 
and Sky can put Ben to bed. Sky dislikes babies, but Ben's pretty cool and seems to like her just fine. She puts him in his crib, which is full of stuffed ducks, <laughs> uh, then goes to the backyard where Yantha has set up a high-powered telescope. She shows Sky planets and tells her about constellations and the Aztec names for them. Then she tells Sky about dark matter in her own research, and soon Sky feels a lot better. Uh, chapter 14 has the one of the books that Jane got, and it's called The Various, and it's from 2003. It is a children's fantasy novel by Steve um, Gutenberg? Agar- Agard. Okay. What did you say? Gutenberg. Yeah. I thought it might be fun to try and track down that one. Um, the Jane Penderwick reading list? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like so, like it's just the... that and a bunch of Sabrina Star books. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, those are all 30 pages. <laughs> oh, God, I forgot the joke I was going to make way back earlier when, like, Jane's all like, but men have needs. I read it in a magazine. And this guy goes, what magazine? I was going to make the joke, lines on the road. Uh, Dexter Dupree's, uh... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That he edits. <laughs> I guess that's why that joke didn't. <laughs> Men need cars. <laughs> okay, Jane. So, obviously it makes sense that Ben's crib is full of duck stuffies. But I also love the fact that his mom has duck stickers on okay. her laptop. Mm-hmm. She's such a good mom. I know. He's her little buddy. Yeah. Would you like to talk about the experiment with Asimov <laughs> and Hound? It's, how, it's really smart. That's how you're supposed to introduce animals to each other. That's how we introduce the two cats to each other. Yeah, so Sky, Sky comes <laughs> over, and Batty is already there, hanging out, and uh, Iantha says, uh, let's do something fun. Batty, should we go on with our experiment? The experiment turned out to be an attempt to convince Asimov that dogs weren't evil creatures, and that Hound, in particular, could even be a friend. Iantha and Batty had been at it for a few weeks now, and had a chart on the side of the refrigerator <laughs> to measure their progress. They worked slowly and systematically, first letting Hound into the front hall for two minutes while Asimov was safely locked in the second floor bathroom, then letting Hound into the living room for five minutes while Asimov was in the second floor bathroom, but with the door open, and so on. I love the fact that she made a chart for it. Of course she did. She's a scientist. Uh, The sort of stuff Sky would love. There's a scene break in the next chapter. So there's a scene break, and it just starts with, Later, Batty tried to blame it all on Hound, which is the best way to start a scene. <laughs> right, because she was just going to go by herself, but Hound kept barking at the car like, Where are you going? Right. Don't go, Mr. Frodo. Don't go or I can't follow you. So <laughs> she had to let Hound into the car and cover him covered in a blanket. And she's also strapped into the seat and having a blanket on her. By the way, this chapter is where I formally wrote down that uh, I didn't think Mariana Dashwood was a real person and was perhaps a character in a book. So so Batty is in the car, and Mr. Fenderwick drives around, and then he pulls up in front of the pizza joints and says, For some reason, her father wasn't getting out of the car. He seemed to just be li- sitting in the front seat, still listening to the radio. And then he rolled his window down. Batty could tell because drifting into the car came the most amazingly delicious smell. Oh, oh, it was pizza. If Batty had been hungry before, now she was so hungry she thought she could die of it. Spying was terrible work. How did real secret agents do it? Then her father started to talk. Imagine that. I've parked right in front of Antonio's Pizza. I wish I had someone to share a pineapple pizza with me. Now, of all the pizzas in the world, Batty's favorite was pineapple. (laughs) Especially from Antonio's where they put on lots of extra pineapple and extra cheese. 
So the pieces of pineapple sank down into the cheese, and the cheese got all crispy around the sweet pineapple. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> uh, and she's like, she knows what'll happen if she uh, reveals herself. But even if all that happened, she had to have some pineapple pizza. She threw aside her blanket. Daddy, it's me! What a lovely surprise, he said. Not at all angry, or much surprised either. <laughs> <laughs> And I do think it's cute that he wants to, because he's pretty good at hanging out with all the kids, but I like that he makes time to hang out with Batty one-on-one, because like, mm-hmm. that's important to, like, you know, for each kid to feel like they have a, a unique relationship. Yeah. So. She isn't just a, gr- a group of, like, all these kids. I feel like in the first book, Mr. Penderwick was obviously a caring dad, but not all that aware of being a dad, but in this, I feel like he really is much more... I guess in the first one, he was on vacation. Right. <laughs> I'm on vacation. Yeah, but he's he a lot more dad in this one, and I, yeah. think he, I think he really proves himself. Yeah, yeah, he's a good dad. I like Mr. P in this one a lot better than I did in the first one. Not that I disliked him, but... Okay, so Skye comes back from her trip with Churchy uh, to visit Jeffrey, and uh, there are presents, and the best one is that he gives Jane a piece of sheet music. The notes were all in pencil, and at the top uh, was a title in Jeffrey's handwriting, Prelude to Sabrina Star. <laughs> I think that's so cool. Yeah. That's, that's great. It's like when a friend writes a song for your podcast so that you have a... <laughs> <laughs> Though if he just presented you with the sheet music, you'd be like, thanks. <laughs> right. It's like this is a present, but it's also a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> okay, he gives Batty neckties because he keeps getting sent neckties and isn't going to wear them and he figured batty could find use for them so batty batty and hound wear them throughout yeah, the, rest of the book hound is walking around with like five neckties just tied around him <laughs> and he's like this is just life and i like that he knows batty well enough to be like it's not just that she'll make use of them she'll think this is a great present <laughs> she's so stoked Iantha, she shows Sky a bunch of the celestial bodies and she points out, or she says, I wish I could show you the Pleiades, uh, but they're hiding behind Quigley Woods this time of year. And uh, I wrote, uh, coming from space to teach you about the Pleiades, because that's uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> oh, okay. And I never knew what the Pleiades were. <laughs> now you do. I love how enthused Sky is about dark matter. And she's like, it's just her new fascination. Like, that is the best thing. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. It definitely is, but she just latches onto him. Like, that is, that is like, the coolest thing that she has ever heard. Well, she fangirls Iantha so much, too. Right. She's like, she was saying in the first book, I want to be an astrophysicist. Right. And here's an astrophysicist. Right. She's like, oh. Right. <gasps> okay. Chapter 17, Halloween. The kids go trick-or-treating and end up playing football on the street with Nick's big boy friends. Uh, one of the shitbirds trips on Batty and orders her out of the way. So she hides in the bushes where she's badly startled by Bugman. She screams herself into hysterics, throwing her candy at him, and Nick has to carry her home. Once she's calmed down, Mr. Penderwick figures out that Batty had been frightened by some creep in a Spock costume. I really hate this chapter. These big boys are being big and destructive, and then the, the asshole sends Bat Like, it's Batty's fault you're a big, galumphing dickhead. This is a kid's, how, right. a kid, kid's thing. Why are you wrecking it by being too rough? Right. Like, he could have, like, picked her up and was like, okay, we'll take him on together. Blah! Well, she's on his back while she's all like, Wee! You know, something like that could have happened instead of like, get away. Right. So then she huddles in a bush because she's scared. Yeah. And then this guy yeah. is in the bush for some reason and is creepy and scares the crap out of her. So I was just all like, 
it just highlights why when people get all like whimsical and like isn't it wonderful childhood and like no because it's a lot of stuff like this where you get scared and you don't have the vocabulary to explain why you're scared or what happened so that's why i hated it so you hated it for good reasons you hated yeah. it because it was a well done chapter that frustrated <laughs> you because of right. how valid mm-hmm. yeah okay i'm gonna move on but f that chapter uh chapter 18 sisters and sacrifice it's sixth grade performance night ed sky feels awful I'm so sky. <laughs> I really it's the really... scariest chapter of the whole book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt sick all through it. She hasn't been able to eat all day. Yeah, and she's filled with dread. Mister P takes her and Jane to the school to get Sky in costume. Sky refuses to dress in the same room as Melissa, so she opts to dress in the bathroom, uh, having Jane go tell the teacher where she is. When Jane leaves, Sky faints. Which uh, was actually a thing that happened, like, Ayantha, when she was bonding with Ayantha, Ayantha had to be in, like, one school play when she was a kid and fainted. Mm-hmm. So, that, that's a little bit important. Um, the Pendrewicks and Aronsons are going together to the school, and Rosalind decides to walk in the rain like Jean Kelly. Or I guess Billie Holiday, since she sings Pennies from Heaven. Uh, Nick sees her and pulls over to offer her a ride on their way to get Trilby. Rosalind says some crummy stuff, but Tommy's kind of a turd, so it evens out. At school... Uh, the teacher tells Mr. P about Skye's faint and that she's in no condition to go on. And she's asking for Yantha since she's had fainting experience. Yantha hands Ben over to Mr. P and follows the teacher to poor faint Sky. Okay, chapter 19. All secrets revealed. At home, Jane and Skye own up to switching assignments. They uh, promise to actually write their own assignments and confess to their teachers and also do extra chores around the house. Mr. Penderwick tells them Marianne isn't real, that <laughs> she's a character from Sense and Sensibility. When he was supposed to be with her, he was in his office reading the book. He just wasn't ready for dating, especially after that date with the skating coach, which was miserable. Rosalind confesses that all of them were finding bad dates for him, so the dating would stop. This earns her extra chores, too. So that settles that, I guess. Okay, so the only notes that I have are that Daddy is a dinosaur every year, and, uh... <laughs> I was Chomper from the Land Before Time series one year, um, <laughs> and my dad constructed a, a, a mask that had, like, a drawstring to open and close the jaw, and then we <laughs> reused it the next year so I could be Charizard. Um, <laughs> <and> <laughs> you all right? <laughs> I'm not sure why that specific comment was so funny. I don't know why. I'm crying a little bit. <laughs> it just struck me as so funny. Okay, go on. Uh, and then Ben is dressed all in orange because he's a bag of cheese doodles. Why isn't he a duck? <laughs> I don't know. I think that makes it extra funny to me. It's like the obvious thing. Guess what Ben's going to be? A duck. No, he's cheese doodles. What? <laughs> Did you picture Garden Street as a cul-de-sac? I always pictured it as a cul-de-sac. No. Okay. That was I guess the it would thing. make sense. That was the only note I had for the play section for whatever reason, even okay. though that was a really solid chapter. Cool. I was expecting more of a, more of a, we knew that you didn't write this sort of reveal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, wow, they're really going through with this terrible play. <laughs> though I guess it kind of makes sense because we haven't seen... There's not really a relationship with any of the teachers or anything, so it kind of makes sense that nobody at the school is as, like, aware. Like, they don't pay as much attention to the Benderwicks as the other characters do. And then I just made a note that I was one for three when he explains that Marianne's a character in a book. 
Okay. Uh, chapter 20, the new Save Daddy plan. Aunt Claire comes to visit the next day for the soccer game, but Rosalind's so exhausted after the confessions that she and Ben sleep through the whole thing. Uh, Sky and Jane's team win and admits to Sky that she's jealous of her. Sky gives her an awkward hug and is so uncomfortable with Melissa's emotions that it makes the adults laugh their asses off. Seeing Mr. P and Ayantha laughing together gives Rosalind an idea. At the house, Rosalind calls for an emergency mops and suggests that Mr. P date Yantha. Everyone's all for it, and they scheme for the two adults to attend the university gala together. Chapter 21. A very long night. <laughs> the girls steal Mr. P's car battery, so he's forced to share a ride with Yantha, who looks smoking hot, so it's no great hardship for Mr. P. This is also a move out of the Edward Cullen playbook, because to prevent Bella from going somewhere, he takes the engine out of her car. Oh, I don't remember that. It's been a long time. <laughs> oh, I and I was just like, so how is this romantic? Um, anyway, Rosalind's babysitting... I've stranded for... you. Don't you love me? I'm glittery. Watch. <laughs> We're not discussing that right now. We're discussing that you are weird. <laughs> you li- you removed... A whole engine? You removed a whole engine. Where did you even put it? <laughs> I'm very rich. What is... What is... Are you listening to your... <laughs> gradually rewrite twilight with like all everything she should have done um rosalind's babysitting for ben at her house but he gets upset at bedtime because yantha packed the wrong stuffed duck how gauche (laughs) so rosalind has jane take over for bedtime stories and she goes next door she sees asimov is out but this isn't a red flag for some reason well they shut him in the house so i was like why is he out then tommy stops her to tell her that he dumped trilby and yeah okay whatever i have to get a duck so, uh, Yantha's door opens, and out comes a little man with big glasses, clutching Yantha's laptop. He shoves Rosalind, and would have gotten away, but Tommy tackles him. This brave move properly reconciles the kids, and they agree to date when they're 13. Meanwhile, the rest of the Penderwicks have rushed out for this interesting new development, and they find out the man is Bugman, a.k.a. Spock, a.k.a. Norman Birnbaum, Yantha's former colleague, convinced she's stolen his work. They tie him up with Betty and Bounce ties, then call their parents. Later, after the police have left, Mr. P and Rosalind have a heart-to-heart, with Mr. P apologizing for making Rosalind Mom Jr., and Rosalind telling him that they all love Yantha and would be happy if he dated her. Epilogue. Seven months later, we conclude with a wedding. The girls are bridesmaids, and Tommy and Ben are groomsmen. Even Jeffries come out to be groomsmen, too, and everyone's happy. La-la. The end. After the play, when Sky and Melissa have the, the heart-to-brain, because Sky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, Yantha says, maybe you and Melissa could become friends now. And Sky says, holy bananas, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and she's like, what, what, what was Melissa talking to you about? It's like, if it's personal, you don't have to share it. And then and Sky's like, it wasn't personal, it was just stupid. <laughs> I'm Sky. <laughs> so I somehow missed the spot where I'd written it out. My third prediction, so it was that Asimov... Uh, the reason why he was so chunky was he was actually a girl and was pregnant and there was going to be, like, a kitty scene, but there there were no kittens. So Sometimes was... cats are just fat. Yeah, so I was two for three because cat <laughs> was just fat. Okay, I I don't think I was a huge fan of the Bugman plotline. I didn't really like I it either. I thought it felt a little too, like, and then they stopped a breaking and entering. What? Yeah, and I didn't really... Like, they find this guy breaking to a house, and they're like, we need to call our parents first, we shouldn't call the police ourselves. I'm like, why shouldn't you call the police yourselves? Yeah. 
And if you need an adult there so bad, go across the street and get Mrs. Geiger. Like, what? Yeah. What's the issue here? Call the fucking police. Yeah. That was a... I didn't agree with that. Usually I'm just like, yeah, okay, that's a good way to do this. I'm like, no, call the police. Yeah. So that was kind of like my one (laughs) segment of it that I was like... Yeah. Though I do like that uh, Tommy, after he comes to help... He says, uh, now tell me whether you miss me, Rosie. Oh, Tommy, I did miss you. I miss you this much. And she holds her hands six <laughs> inches apart. <laughs> I like that there is a resolution to this kind of two-book arc of Rosalind being stand-in mom and Mr. P realizing that that was unfair for him yeah. to put that responsibility. I thought that was a really cool... Yeah, it's pretty cute. And then the epilogue's just a cute little get all the characters together. Yeah. And then, so it was cute. Because you get together for a wedding. And I mean, that's that's the Penderwicks on Garden Street. Overall, I think it was a really solid sequel. I think it was very strong. And it's it's because she, it's all character based. Yeah. It's, I mean, if you explain the plot, it's like kids go to school. Right. And hang out. That's why <laughs> these, like, my, my notes are so short. Yeah. Because it's really plot thin in a good way because characters dictate everything about it so yeah so that's the penderwicks and i would be down for if we can track down the third one because i never see yeah the other it's ones the one where they on shelves it's that one of the french place name okay we'd have to look up how to pronounce it because we can't just say point moet the whole time because i don't think that's right point moi <laughs> oh, yeah basically you don't pronounce any of the letters the penderwicks at point moi, <laughs> at point moi. Uh, next month, we're actually going to be taking a look at the second volume of uh, Life Formed by Matt Mayer Lowry and Cassie Anderson. It releases on uh, September 4th, so we're going to have a pre-release copy, and we're just going to delay our episode by a few days and make the September episode come out on the 4th so that we can coincide with the release. Probably going to be able to get them on the podcast to talk with again, and I'm pretty excited for that. I've been looking forward to seeing where that goes next for a little while now. So, Hello Fellow Kids is hosted by Mara and Josh, produced by Josh, music provided by Ben Ash. Visit him at benash.com if you want to contact us. Please email us at hfkpodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at hfkpodcast. We are on Goodreads under our podcast name. We are also available basically anywhere you can get podcasts, Stitcher, Apple, Google, Radio Public, all of the big ones. Uh, or around. Spotify. Right, not Spotify and not Podbean. I haven't even heard of that one. Yeah, I looked it up. It's a it's a (laughs) thing, but you have to. There was like an extra fee, and I no thank you. No thank you. But yeah, uh, I expect that somewhere down the line we'll hang out with the Penderwicks again. Probably not for a while. Not for a while. It's not. It doesn't have that immediacy (laughs) of wanting to immediately hop back into Fablehaven. Like that one is okay with taking a break because they're. They um, should just kind of serve as palate cleansers. When we read something disappointing. Or just something that's, like, really intense. And I was like, okay, let's just have, like, some Ramona time. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening. Take care. Bye.